You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. But, you know, meerkats, if, if, if you're not exactly sure what they look like, these are just the cutest furry little animals. What can they teach us? Fascinating stuff by Dr. Marta Mansa and her group, and of course I think others are studying this as well. But it just goes to show me, Chris. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to Our Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. Uh, just a quick update. We were supposed to record, uh, go ahead and let the cat out of the bag, uh, Warthog this week. And Angie, if you listened last week, is still battling the flu. Uh, it worsened, but now she's definitely up on the men, so no worries there. She's just so exhausted and, and tired. So we reached into our vault, and last year... We released this episode for our Patreon-only subscribers, and we thought it would be kind of perfect to marry it up with Warthog, which we will record later this week and post it next week, so no surprise on the species next week. But we went in and reached in and got the meerkat out because it was just such a phenomenal episode. And we released this last uh, summer, I believe it was in August, when the Lion King movie had just just released so everybody's beloved meerkat and warthog now also i just wanted to highlight this week we have an amazing interview you do not want to miss this interview this is one's one of those that you do and it's just so impactful and we love all the people we interview i mean they've all just been phenomenal and bring in different perspectives on wildlife conservation and research and how we're preserving these animals fighting for these animals in crisis and so this week we have Mike Veal from Global Conservation Force, and we've been mentioning them the last couple of months as we've been trying to chase Mike down. He's extremely busy going back and forth between Africa and his work here in San Diego and California. It's just, wow, if you want to know about poaching and some of the truths on what's going on on the ground, you want to listen to this interview. And then I'll also tell you that, you know, Mike and the, the efforts that he started, I mean, he started this organization, but to fight poaching, not only in Africa, but to go to Vietnam and other places and, and fight it there too. It's, it, it was one when I, after I hung up with him, I just was like, oh my goodness, that was just one of the best interviews I've heard. It's just, it's just an amazing one. So you don't want to miss that. And, you know, we're going to be back next week. Uh, Angie is on the mend and she is doing better. It's just, you know, when we normally recorded, she was just flat out on her back and, and, and couldn't. And, and I told her it, it's fine. So, you know, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You know, it, it, it allows us to do this and produce more content for our listeners. So, so enjoy Meerkats. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. 
And I'm Angie. Angie, I love that sound. I love that sound. They are amazing. Amazing little creatures. Yeah, it was a little alarm call early in the podcast to wake everyone up and alarm yeah. everybody that it's going to be an amazing podcast because we're talking about the meerkat today. Oh, so beloved. So beloved. It oh, it's a house favorite. Animal. It's a house it favorite. You uh, you can't go to your local zoo and not just stand for hours at the meerkat exhibit and watch them just being amazing big, and cute uh, 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 with their big bushy brown striped fur and small yeah, uh, uh, did you did dark, you ever see their dark patches under their eyes oh yeah yeah i mean just gorgeous animals did you ever see meerkat manor yeah for me chris it was just one of those series that really took off and gave a, put a spotlight on one specific species and people right, loved it right I mean, it's, it's like told a story. It, yes, it told a story. Yes, it, it, it was. It's kind of like the first reality show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, of animals. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. It was. Oh, it was amazing. Um, if you, if you can ever find it, I don't think it's on on Netflix. But if you can ever find it, it it's. I want to go back and watch it again. It was like it was engrossing. It was drama. It had comedy. It had everything you ever wanted. Yeah, it had all the elements of. And now we're just watching yeah. like The Bachelorette and stuff. Or I guess oh, I, I guess I should only speak for myself. <laughs> <laughs> what a brain drain! Such a brain drain when you can be learning about meerkats or something. I've always got like some nature show on in the background. But yeah, it was Meerkat Manor was was so popular, and I think it really pushed meerkats out there. And you know just. Thinking about this podcast, the one thing I, I thought of is what the heck's a meerkat? Like, where where do they fit in everything? Right. You know, so that was one of my big questions. Is it a cat? I maybe thought it was a mustelid. A weasel. So we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get yeah. There. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I didn't know, but uh, I did find out. And since this is a Patreon-only episode, you know, I want to give out some shout-outs. So thank you to Jesse, Selena, and Jessica. They they signed up this week. So thank you. We thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you. Oh, we, we, we love you. And, you know, keep up with the polls on there. We're going to be adding another one. Angie and I need to discuss, like, what class of species or class of animals we want to cover. And then we're going to throw it up there. The fox poll is, is over. So Fennec Fox won. So we need to do that very soon. Yes. I know. That I know, or Arctic, I but, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll obviously end up getting to all of them, hopefully, unless they take us off the air. Uh, but <laughs> Finnick is, uh, I never got to work with the Finnick fox, but, uh, when I was a zookeeper, my friends worked with a Finnick fox and they were. Oh, they're so. In beautiful. love with that little they're nugget. So... Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I know. I know. So here's, here's a question. So you want to stay tuned to the end because I, just this week, Lion King was released. Okay, so the new one. So I haven't seen it yet. So I'll try to go see it uh, here in a few days. But my question is, why is Timon, who's the meerkat in The Lion King, and Pumbaa, who's a warthog, such good friends? Is that true in the wild or not? I had a question. I was like, why did they pick those two and make them best buds? So you'll find hmm. out at the end. Yeah, hey, I'm definitely intrigued. You stumped me. I have no idea. <laughs> Now to to get to the the first question I had is is where do meerkats fit in and, and we're not going to jump to evolution right to second but I'll just put up front meerkats are from the mongoose family so we haven't covered a mongoose yet so this is actually our first quote unquote animal from the mongoose family so that was kind of kind of cool and interesting right yeah well we'll definitely yeah. have to get some mongoose in there those are the snake killers right 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 yeah yeah mm-hmm. I mean like honey badger that's a mustelid but. 
Honey Badger don't care, but but mongoose don't care either. So we should probably do the one. Was it Ricky Ticky Tacky? What was that? That's what I grew up on. Yeah, I I can't remember the full story, but yeah. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. We'll look into that. Maybe the next six months we'll we'll cover a mongoose. But you know, meerkats. If 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 you're not exactly sure what they look like, these are just the cutest furry little animals. Base. You know, tan or, or gray coat. Their back sometimes has orangish brown striping patterns. Angie said they have the eyes around the black around their eyes. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they have the, uh, the cute little dark patches around their eyes, and these parallel stripes across their back. They extend from the base of their tail to their shoulders. And Chris, what I read, and I, I was not aware of this at all, that these patterns of stripes are unique to each meerkat. Yeah, I saw something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It makes yeah. sense. I mean, that's how it is for like zebras yeah. and uh okapi and things like that. But yeah, I guess I just I didn't really um put two and two together until I read that and I thought that that made me love them even more, if that's possible. <laughs> it's so so amazing. I just saw them at, at, at Jesse Golden Zoo in Hamilton uh yeah. last week. But their faces yeah. are just they have these pointed faces and large eyes and the underside of the meerkat has no markings and the, mm-hmm. and the, the belly is not as furry as the back. And, Mm-mm. and so a lot of the black skin shows through. So yeah, I think they're most notorious for the positioning of right. s- sitting up fully on their hind feet with their cute little paws in the air. And then they have a very, and we'll talk a lot about it when we get to behavior, but they have this very alert position when they're watching guard and standing guard. But then if you watch a whole bunch of YouTube videos, which I know I sent you a couple of them, Chris, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're good. When when they're in a relaxed position, they kind of kick back like they're in a beanbag chair almost. (laughs) And their belly's hanging out. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. It's like just pretend if a meerkat just kind of was down in a beanbag chair or a really droopy hammock or something. Yeah. They just kind of rock back on their haunches and then this big old bulbous, belly and they just chillax, but they're still erect and upright. It's so cute. I, mm-hmm. I'm not even doing it justice. You just have to watch some of these videos we'll put on our show notes. <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah. They're awesome. I mean, and, and the size, you know, they're not very big. So up to 20 inches, just the body and then another 10 inches on the tail. So not super long or, or 50 centimeter body or 25 centimeter tail. And the only way they can weigh up to five and a half pounds or two and a half kilograms. So not, you know, definitely not, I don't know, small cat size, I guess. I don't know. I guess. I'd put it yeah. There. I would say a small cat size and they definitely have this weasel like or mongoose like face. But what also sets them apart is their, their small crescent shaped ears. So it just gives their right. face from a right. profile view, just the cutest, darnest thing you've ever seen. Oh, they are. They and, are. They're just so and their so little adorable. nose moving back and forth. Oh my goodness! <laughs> they just oh, they're so fun. Now this is what surprised me, Angie. This one was surprising when you know digging in the research, looking their range. I thought they would have ranged a lot more across Africa, but me in, too, in reality, Chris. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know why I would have thought from northern central to southern. Yeah, if somebody yeah. pulled yeah pulled me on it, but that's why we do this podcast. We're learning every day. Yeah, I know. I know. It is just, they're really isolated to the bottom Western portion of Africa, Southwest mm-hmm. Africa. So the, you know, Kalahari Desert and Botswana, mostly South Africa, and then Nam- Namibia and Angola are the two other countries where they're found. And that's it. 
Not Mozambique, not going up. Uh, now, where'd you go again? You went to Namibia? Um, no, I've been to South Africa. I've spent a lot of time, well, more time than most, I suppose, in Zambia. And then I've also Zambia. been okay. to the northern part of Tanzania. Okay. Okay. So, so not yeah, really meerkat territory. No. Uh, well, in South Africa, I was in Cape Town. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, no. And now I know where to go find them and I, I need to get back there. That's for sure. I know. I know. They're so, uh, they're so amazing. So yeah, I, th- I thought that was surprising. Now looking at, I mean, meerkats and, you know, we, each week we talk about this. Why care? And they're an important part of the food web, but th- these things really are. I mean, not only are they food for predators. Okay. But they also eat many invertebrates. So they kind of control the local population. And then including scorpions. Yeah, exactly. And so in turn, that really helps farmers in the, in the area, keeping Mm -hmm. some bug populations down, some pests. And they're just, they're amazing ambassadors for learning. And they're just an an incredible animal, incredible animal that plays a key role in Africa, not part of Africa. And I think they're just very beloved from Meerkat Manor to, as Chris pointed out, in The Lion King. So they're, they're just a really special, special creature and they have, they seem to have very big personalities. I have never been a meerkat keeper, but a lot of my friends have and they say it's just one of their most treasured routines because each and each animal in the mob, you know, they, they know them well and they have a lot of personality. I mean, just, just even watching them for five minutes in front of an exhibit, you can just tell they're just silly. Yeah. They are. They are silly. They are silly. They're just, oh my goodness. Beautiful animals. Now jump into some evolution. Okay. And and this is where Angie, I was again, surprised the lack of information. I was going to say, I I texted you earlier today. I said, I hope you're pulling your weight on this one, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) I've got got nothing. I spent a couple hours looking, like looking up articles, reading some scientific articles on genetics and stuff like that. And there's just not a lot known about the mongoose. So, and I'll kind of explain this here in a little bit. So the scientific name is Cercata Sericata. I think I said that right. Sericata Sericata. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty easy. I like it. <laughs> now the, the, the mongoose family is Herpestidae, which there are 34 different species within that family itself of mongoose. Mm-hmm. So the meerkats belong to that. And they're the only member of the genus Suricata. So they're it. They're it. And I'll talk about when they, they kind of branched off. Now, what's interesting is mongoose family is also part of Filiformia. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Which species have we covered that's Filiformia? There's one in there that we covered that might surprise you. Wow. Um Do, do, Otter? Do, 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 no. No. Feliformia. <laughs> a cat? There's a big, yes. Yes. Okay. A cat. Okay. Okay. I play this cats. game with my Chris. I'm like warmer, warmer, <laughs> colder, freezing cold, hotter, hotter, yes. burning hot. And then they still can't find the thing. <laughs> okay. Cats. Cats is the big duh one. Now there's one in there that I think you got to, you got to dig deep on this one. It's just that obscure species. You're like, where do they fit? Uh, hold on. Nah. We've just done so much, Chris. It's like, 
I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> almost 80 species. Um, oh, I wish I could do it. Oh, yeah. Make, give me a hint. I'm so, I'm so Let's play I'm charades. So I'm going to, I'm going to put, I'm going to blow your picture up on the screen. There. Do charades. Okay. There. <laughs> one word, two words. Charades. Okay. Uh, one word. Okay. First word. Um, Oh my god! I can't even do it without telling you. Um, okay. Let's hear the noise. I, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Hold on. I can't do. Not it. a bad honey badger. No. No, I wish. Okay, hold on. A bear. No cat. You already did cat. Um. Okay. Here's your clue. Okay. Here's your clue. Okay. I love whatever's making that sound, but I don't know what it is. You don't know? Oh my goodness. Hyena. No. Yes. 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 Ah! Hyena. See, we can be trades partners. Okay. Yeah. Hyena. I mean, you know, was, I couldn't do it. I, you and John are the animal experts when it comes to sounds. Well, I not hyena. That's tough, but wow. That's a t- you know, yeah. just do that, that crazy pitch. But yeah, they're part of the Filiformia family. So I was like, oh, that's right. Because I remember going back God, 40 episodes ago when we did that. All right. So after we wow, stumped Wow, sorry, Angie, listeners. That was probably a little painful. Chris, <laughs> shorten that down. I will. I will. So, you know, mongoose evolution, her pestidae evolution, there's really not a lot out there, not a lot known. But I kind of went back and said, okay, let's just look at mammals as, as a class of, of animals. So mammals have evolved over 120 million years. Again, there's a lots of debate. They go back and forth. But when the fifth mass, mass extinction happened around, what, 60, 65 million years ago, that's when mammals evolved. Okay, so carnivores emerged around 65 million years ago. So the first mongoose-like animal they do know evolved about 45 million years ago. Okay. Okay. So roughly been around that long. Now, they think that her pestidae family kind of really started evolving about 11 and a half million years ago. Okay. Okay. And all over the world. They're all over the world. Now, the meerkat, there's two classes in her pestidae, and I'm not going to go into them, but the meerkat is most related to, and it really branched off by itself like a long time ago, okay. millions of years ago, they think. Um, They're unique. But the, co- yeah, they are. They're unique in, in this whole family. But the dwarf mongoose is is pretty close. Uh, the banded mongoose is pretty close. And then there's the kusamansi. I've never heard these things. Those all live in Africa. Yeah, kusamansi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they look they look really cool. They look really cool. So they do know uh, today's meerkats. Almost, I'm, Angie. I just almost had a moment. What animal are we covering? <laughs> it <laughs> happens to the Angie best of moment. us. It does. It really does. <laughs> Seriously, for it. For one second, my brain went, wait, what animal? You just talking are allowed to have dad brain anytime. <laughs> I feel you. All right. So the meerkats, they, they pretty much did evolve in Southern Africa. And there was the uh, Suricata, Suricata Major, who was extinct now. They found bones from there. And they think, you know, it was very similar to the banded mongoose. And 
basically climate change drove the, drove them to evolve into the meerkat as the earth got warmer or drier and not necessarily wetter, but, but drier. That's kind of where these animals adapted uh, to that. And again, I couldn't find any dates like with probably within the last million years is really when meerkats probably evolved uh, okay. to where they are today. Cause they, they broke off quite a while ago from. Yeah. And I was reading that there's three subspecies that are commonly recognized. Uh, yeah. As far as the Southern African meerkat, the Angolan meerkat and the mm-hmm. desert meerkat. Yeah. Yeah. So the three, so the three subspecies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Good. Now trying to find some cool stuff that, there is the smallest mongoose, which I've already said, the dwarf, yes. which I think is probably the one we should cover. I don't know. It's super, super cute. cute. Ah, why are they so I did cute? Find, I did find the largest mongoose. I'm sorry. It's not that exciting, but the <laughs> white-tailed mongoose, there's nothing like a, a horse size or cow size mongoose. I'm sorry. Well, it nobody exists. wants that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. But the white-tailed is pretty big, 47 inches long or 110 centimeters. Yeah, it's big. Can weigh up to 11 and a half pounds. Or 5.2 kilograms. So, so larger cat or small dog, medium dog mm-hmm. size, you know, pretty big for a mongoose. So generally they're not, they're not very, very big. No, animals. not at all. Mm-mm. No, no, no. And nothing we've found in the geological record has shown them to be extremely large uh, in this class of animals. Now, meerkats. In the wild, you know, you go watch Meerkat Manor. There are some some heart wrenching moments. They they survive six to seven years. Not you know, not too bad, but not too long. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they said that it could be five to fifteen. But of course, in the wild, there's a lot of predation and things going on. And under human care, the average is about twelve years. Yeah, twelve, fourteen. I saw that. So it's like a cat. You know, there you go, Filiformia. Now, some cool stuff is, you know, like you already kind of talked about what a mob, but a group of them is called a mob, a mm-hmm. gang or a clan. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of like that. They kind of look like a mob. Don't they, they do. So, <laughs> they but it's, it's those black eye patches, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They, they almost look like raccoons. Oh, yeah. That's another species we, we got to do. Now, there, I couldn't find any official names for males and females, but the dominant females sometimes referred to as the queen. And, you know, we'll get to behavior here in a minute. Now, one thing Angie, you know, talked about was the dark shading around their eyes and why they have that. And that's really for desert life. You know, it helps keep the sun out of their eyes and the glare. Mm-hmm. They have horizontal pupils. So they have a, a, a wide range of binocular vision, uh, kind of like we, they, we do. And then when they dig, they have a third eyelid that covers their eye to protect it from sand. Smart. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool physiology. Um, some other physiology notes I found, uh, their tails aren't bushy like, like other mongoose, no. but it's thin. Mm-hmm. And like you talked about, you know, kind of when they sit up, it helps balance them a little bit, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, they do have strong claws for digging oh, yes. and for prey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're diggers. I mean, that, that's what, and for each four, they have four toes on each foot and these long slender limbs. But I was going to say, when I saw them last week, in, in New Zealand at the zoo, you know, there was, it's so it's hilarious to watch them. You're right. You can spend so much time there. One's on lookout while the other's digging mm-hmm. and they just keep digging their burrows, oh, yeah. you know, and you're going to kind of get into how long they are and, and how big they are. But yeah, they just dig, 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 dig. I have that data. <laughs> it's, okay. it's like, mm, that's not me, Chris. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. So this was, this was interesting. Get in the, we'll get to nutrition. 
So one thing I found interesting is they have no fat stores. They have to eat every day or they're going to die. That's insane. Yeah, especially if you I live in the desert, I, I, right? It's tough. Yeah. So I'm like, and they have being how? a small mammal, they have a higher metabolism as well. Right. So they have to eat every day. They have to eat. It's almost like the hummingbird. Remember the hummingbird every has to eat every 15 mm-hmm. minutes or it dies. Mm-hmm. You know, this is very similar. They have to eat every day or they can die of starvation, which is insane. Yeah. That's totally nuts. Yeah. It's the first mammal species I've come across that, that had that kind of data. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, meerkats are considered carnivores and, but they do eat a lot more than just say meat, uh, you know, lizards, birds, bugs, fruit, some of the things. Mm-hmm. And then what you said earlier, this is cool. This is really cool is they do like scorpions and the adults have some immunity to the venom, but the young ones don't. So I don't know if you saw this behavior. So instead of the adults letting the the young ones practice on how to kill a scorpion, what they'll do is the adult will catch it, bite off its tail and then give it to the young one to allow the young one learn how to deal with it. So, because the young ones can die with a scorpion sting. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. It really is. There's their behavior is super cool. Um, and they definitely have to teach their young a lot of these skill sets. And of course that it's going to include how to eat a venomous scorpion. And yeah, yeah, I mean, and you don't want them dealing with that stinger so that they basically remove it. Well, Chris, it's kind of like when my kids, especially Xander, he always wants to help me cook. And that includes cutting things, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to give him the steak okay. knife. I give him the butter knife. So right. it, he's learning how to handle it and hold it correctly and protect his fingers while he's chopping and things like that. Mm-hmm. But also playing around and learning on softer things that he can cut with. And I think recently, right. I think his dad, I think he's graduated, graduated up to a real knife. I think I saw him and John working with a, a sharp knife the other day. So He's, uh, he, yeah, he's ready. Yeah, he's ready yeah. for that scorpion stinger. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I know. According I know, to dad, I which I agree. He's a, he's a good little chef. So, but yeah, I mean, that's what, that's yeah, what parents yeah. have to do. It's, it's, it's quite incredible. And, but I, I definitely guess they fall into the carnivore category, but I read in some literature, they're described as insectivores or eating a lot of, a lot of insects. Uh, and then mm-hmm. if they, and they eat some plant matter too. So it's almost like they're, omnivores but carnivores so uh yeah insectivores yeah they're <laughs> they're a vore well like you said they probably just, they'll eat whatever they want millipedes centipedes reptiles birds yeah. insects you know, yeah spiders scorpions whatever just uh if you have to eat every day and you're in the desert you can't be too picky right yeah and i remember watching that was like the big thing with meerkat manor how they foraged every day mm-hmm. and going out as a family like we're, you know we're gonna get to behavior here in a second but warming up every day and then they go out as a big group to forage and, you know, digging and, and looking for insects and things like that. And the young ones accompany mm-hmm. them and then poor suckers left behind to guard, you know, the, the, the homestead. Right. So yeah, it's just, uh, well, and Chris, I was yeah, reading this uh, really fun behavior where meerkats will dig safe places in their foraging areas. So after they've leave their mm-hmm. burrow, they dig these, they're called bolt holes. Yeah, holes. Yeah, bolt and it's holes, basically yeah. a quick little place they can hide in case of emergency. 
if they, if they can't run back right. to their burrow to hide. So it's just super smart. Like they're, they're, you know, they dig little bunkers wherever they go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, don't, don't prairie dogs do that too? I don't, cause I mean, we didn't really cover prairie dogs in black footed ferret way back when, but we did talk. About I, some I, dog I'm not stuff. sure that this, this is the first time I've read about the bolt hole behavior, but I am no bolt hole expert. Yeah. So say that 10 times fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. But I just remember, you know, it's, I mean, prairie dogs, some of these animals that, that do burrow and, you know, when they're out foraging or hunting, you know, they need a place to, especially in Africa. Right. You're, you're in the so wide open. Like seriously. Yeah. I mean, is, is it Africa or, or Australia? Which one's just going to be the most deadly? <laughs> it's got to be Australia. I think Australia. It's got to be Australia. Uh, You've been, I don't know. It's, it's still it's, on my list, but, uh, yeah, I definitely think I was just there. I was there like five days ago in Melbourne, just sitting and waiting on a layover, wanting to get out of the airport and go trekking around looking for kangaroos and koalas. But, um, yeah, no, Australia's amazing place, but Africa's God, Africa's up there. But too. the other thing is if they can't get to their bolt hole and they're basically confronted by a predator, I read about this behavior where they'll all stand together, arching their backs, raising and hissing their hairs, basically trying to trick the attacker that they're some large animal, like maybe a honey badger. Like if they all get together and they right. make all this noise that they will maybe, you know, scare it off. Talk about a cooperative behavior. That would definitely be mm-hmm. an amazing way to work together to try to protect yourself if you're bolt hole is covered up. <laughs> can, can, can I give you a hint on that example? Honey, honey badger bed, don't yeah. care. Honey badger don't, he don't care. care. He's just going to come in and he's going to, he doesn't care how many there are. King up on me. I don't care. Right. And that's, yeah, that's who they're yeah. trying to you be. Any, then. You got any snacks? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I would love to see a honey badger walk across a bunch of meerkats. Honey badger does not care. He does not care. So uh, looking at some of the behaviors, it, it's, you know, this is, this is the fun part. I think of this podcast is these animals are so charismatic and just so full of personality. I know one thing, you know, talked about earlier is, is the, the burrows. So here, here's some facts that I found leading you into this. So they, they do have this big system, you know, burrows, burrowing system can have as many as like 15 entrance or exit holes on the main one. And it could be six and a half feet deep underground. So, you know, it, it, incredible how much they dig. And then they said, unlike other burrowing animals, the meerkats actually will live in more than one burrow. They actually have a bunch and they keep in rotation. So they'll just move around. Not only are they that deep, Angie, but they also measured them and they could be like 15 meters in length all through there. So what's that? Like almost 40, 45 that's feet? Incredible. 50 feet? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that would be fun to live in something like that. Would you think? Like the, the Meerkat Hotel? Yeah. 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 So they, they just have some amazing behaviors. What are some of the other, I mean, the other stuff, the video you sent me was awesome. I just, I think that was why people fall in love with them is just, how crazy their behavior is and how fun it is to watch. Well, yeah, Chris, I think they're so fun to watch because they're basically diurnal and they're out during the day, except for maybe to avoid the heat, big time heat of the afternoon. But yeah, the sun comes up, 
the mob emerges from their burrow and it's time to start foraging and they'll use their keen sense of smell and that cute little nose to find their favorite foods, whether it's beetles or caterpillars, termites, um, small reptiles, you name it. And so off they go for the day. And before I dive really deep into um, some of the cool behaviors, these cooperative behaviors they do together as a mob that really sets them apart, I think, from a lot of other small mammals. It's been documented, and I've seen this in a lot of these YouTube videos that I'm watching where these researchers are out there studying their behavior or what they're eating, and the meerkats just kind of come up to them. And so what will happen is if these mobs or colonies are exposed to human presence for a long time, they basically become habituated with them. And it's really nice for the people that are researching them because they can see their natural behavior. It's not artificial. They'll just keep being meerkats. They don't care if you're there mm-hmm. in meerkat mm-hmm. banner, right? Like they're like, whatever, right, right. this is who we are. Uh, yeah. Which just goes to show how big of personalities they have, right? Uh, the other thing that's funny though is it's it's – not uncommon for if there's a film crew out there for the meerkat that is watching guard to often use the film equipment or the filming person itself as its elevated looking lookout post. <laughs> Climb up top, sit in your head. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this behavior that the meerkat standing on a filmer's head or on his film equipment looking guard is one of the behaviors I really want to focus on because it's really cool. And so what this guarding behavior is, is the fancy word is sentry or sentinel. If I'm saying that right, Chris, sentinel. Yeah. Yeah. Sentinel. Sentinel sentinel behavior where basically one or two members of the group are the lookout. They're the guards looking for predators or other dangerous animals. And they'll often do this from a high post. Sometimes it can be a termite mound. Sometimes it can be some other natural element. Sometimes it can be their, the burrow itself, uh, or of cast of a film crew <laughs> or his equipment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the rest of the mob is foraging on food. The sentry basically stays perched on its back legs. It's Chris and I talked about that cute upright alert position, uh, on their hind feet. Just scanning the sky, looking across the, uh, across the desert and looking for anything from an eagle or a hawk to a jackal, just any type of predator that would readily take it out and have it for a snack. And when it, and when the guard or the watchman or the sentry senses this danger, it focalizes and they can let out high pitched squeaks, um, squeals and basically sends the mob scrambling. They're either going to dart back to the burrow or maybe find one of these bolt holes and just basically just try to get cover because they're not going to be able to protect themselves against some of these larger predators. Mm -hmm. But what's also fascinating, and it makes sense for, well, you know, you've been in military, Chris. Mm -hmm. This, the, the watchmen or watch ladies or the sentries rotate throughout the day among different members of the mob. So, yeah, I, I kind of read up on this one too. And it was, you know, just such an interesting behavior because I've observed it, just them at the zoo, you know, one looking out while one dug and then they switched off uh, every so often. 
And what I was reading is like, say they spot a predator. So that sentry will give a warning bark. And so all the others of the gang or the clan will, will run to either bolt hole or back into the burrow and they all go in there. Then the sentry is the one that comes out and will keep barking. It just like warning, warning, there's something here. Let me check it out. Keep barking, keep barking. When the sentry feels like the predators left or, or moved on, it will stop barking and then everybody will come out again. So, you know, and you see it, it's multiples too. It's not just one. There's, sure. there's a few mm-hmm. pulling sentry duty. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just crazy. What that's altru- altruistic behavior. Altruistic. That one. Yeah. Try it word. again. Altruistic. Yeah. Altruistic behavior. <laughs> well, and that is, it's definitely along the lines of altruism. Basically, the definition of altruistic behavior is one that basically a behavior that an animal performs that is not beneficial to that animal or might even be harmful to itself, but can benefit others of the species. So meerkats playing the sentinel was often thought as an extremely altruistic behavior. Mm-hmm. But of course, scientists being scientists and research being research and debate being debate, uh, it's now thought more as a cooperative behavior and not truly okay. altruistic. Um, because the animal that is on lookout, they do gain some benefits from protecting, mm-hmm. but some has suggested that this rotation maybe have something to do with when their belly is full. And so they basically, after they have foraged a lot, they, they got that scorpion, ripped the tail off, they gobbled it up, their belly is full. That's when it's their turn to go to guard and it's almost maybe even more comfortable for them to be in a full upright position. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. of course it helps them out too. So they don't get preyed on. So mm-hmm. in a lot of literature now, it's basically considered like an extremely cooperative behavior, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. But just reading about meerkats, it was so fascinating. I read that if they are surprise attacked by a hawk, maybe the guard wasn't doing its job or whatever. And they're, and they're fleeing through the burrow and they all jump in that basically a lot of times the adults will cover the offsprings with their bodies. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that seems pretty hmm. altruistic to me, right? Like, right. Right. I'll get picked off just like a mother would no, with her own infant yeah. or a father would or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. that, and it doesn't, it's not saying, you know, it's not just a mother with its own pup. It's just mm-hmm. the adults to the young, the younger pups. So really, that's a, that's, that's, I mean, that's altruistic. Oh, I mean, yeah, but you think about that behavior, like self-sacrifice and it just shows a depth that even in this small mammal, Mm -hmm. you know, of, of a behavior of protecting the young. And I I know moms like protect the young. Sure. But this is not just the mom. This is just adults in general. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, and that also leads into another really interesting behavior I think it's somewhat altruistic, but more considered cooperative where non-breeding members of the mob often act as babysitters for the nursing mm-hmm. females because they have to eat, as you said, every day, a lot, uh, a lactating mom has to get out there and get some food, right? She's got to make that energy. And so the non-breeding members will babysit mm-hmm. and it's basically helps the mom out, helps the baby out. And the non-breeding member really isn't getting anything out of it while it's babysitting. However, 
it will eventually once it becomes a breeding member, right? Uh, and it's just a right. role that they right. play to keep their little ones alive and also help the, uh, the more dominant females feed. Just incredible. Did you, and I know we'll get to repro here in a minute. Did you find anything as far as behavior? There's what a dominant female and a dominant male. And isn't she the one that breeds? Typically. Yes. Uh, from what I, from, from what I'm reading about it. And I think that there's obviously always depending on the, on the family group or the mob or the relations. Um, it doesn't always follow that, that perfect symmetry that we no. think of. Um, but yes, that, that usually is how it goes. Right. Kind of like pack of wolves or like we did the African painted dog. I just remember from Meerkat Manor and it, it, it's, it's fate, you know, fuzzy. The details are fuzzy, but I remember like flowers daughter got pregnant and it was like a big thing on the show. Like, Oh my God, what is she going to do with the pups? Because she's not supposed to breed and she was fine with it. So I don't know if it was just a storyline to keep things going, like, you know, dramatic effects. Yeah. I mean, I think that's shows, typically, but. yeah, they, and I, once again, I, we need to get some of these meerkat experts on here, which I'll be talking right. about in one second. Uh, but. You know, I, I don't know how the fine family dynamics go, but we, de- they definitely right, want right, to reduce right, right. inbreeding and, and they definitely will kick males out after they get to a certain age. And they follow a lot of that kind of carnivore large group behaviors that we've talked about before on the podcast. Right, right, but right. is it as drama as it was on Meerkat Manor? I, I'm not, Probably I don't not. know. I don't know, Chris. I'm not, yeah. Probably not. Uh, Probably not. But. It's a TV show. Come on, there's nothing real but you know, about reality TV. Well, but. <laughs> but you know, Chris, there is a lady we could probably ask. Her name is Dr. Marta Manser, and she's out of the University of Zurich. And she studies the complex behavior of meerkats. So she would probably mm-hmm. know the answer to that uh, as far as their, the exact social structure and dominance hierarchy. Uh, but I turned to some of her work more about vocalizations. We opened up the podcast mm-hmm. with some alarm calls, but be, um, beyond alarm calls, there's several different vocalizations, um, from chirping to squeaking, uh, purring, hissing, mm-hmm. uh, lots of different vocalizations. And they all, of course, mean something to each other. Right. Um, and, but, uh, Dr. Manser, she has specific interest in their alarm calls. And there's a great YouTube video clip of some of her experiments trying to figure out the language of their alarm calls. And she did these series of experiments where she would put fake predators out some were jackals, so they were on the ground, and some were more airborne to look like a hawk or something. And she did it from different distances and all these scientific experiments. But what she concluded mm-hmm. with with all of this is that the meerkats have a very complex warning system or repertoire that's actually not seen in a lot of other animals, especially small mammals, if you will, or small carnivores. Uh, and she likened it to basically like a language because alarm calls as a sentry would give off change when the predator, depending on what type of predator it was specifically mm-hmm. and how far away the predator was. And even some of the data suggests different alarm calls on whether it was an aerial, like a bird 
or mm-hmm. terrestrial animal like a jackal moving in at them. And so depending on circumstances, the alarm call, there might be a chirp, a growl, a twill, a bark, as Chris had mentioned, and they mm-hmm. could repeat the experiments. They could predict. That's how you know it's science, right? You can actually repeat it yeah, yeah. and and predict right. like, okay, we're going to like take this, you know, fake jackal and move it in this way and da, 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 da. And, and they could predict what call was, uh, was alarm call was going to be given to alert the mob. So just fascinating stuff by Dr. Marta Mansa and her group. And of course, I think others are studying this as well, but it just goes to show me, Chris, of how intelligent they are. Uh, I never worked specifically right. with Meerkat, but I, I think of them as silly kind of goofballs, but I, I think that there's a lot of complex, I don't know if language is the correct word, uh, but it, right. uh, I mean, basically that low urgency, high urgency, just uh, how, what type of animal we, we can, I mean, that's a language. We can go back to orc. Yeah. We can go back to orca and say culture. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like some sort of culture, you know, that they, yeah, that they're showing some of these behaviors that it, it's, it's amazing. Each week we learn something new. Yeah. Each week we learn something new. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. But for the rabbit hole that I went down with their behavior mm-hmm. and their vocalizations and all this, there was the exact opposite of that for their breeding behavior and their courtship. They, mm-hmm. At least reports from uh, meerkats living under human care, they don't really have much elaborate uh, breeding displays. There might be some fights over a female um, but basically nothing, nothing too fun for me to, uh, make my husband imitate or anything like that. Just, uh, <laughs> so we got to do birds of paradise. I know we got, well, that's why I want to do, I, I would love to do just like maybe like the whole month of February birds and just get videos of yeah. making John do some of these, these spins and twirls and dips and dives. <laughs> Get him some big fans. Uh, but this was a new <laughs> word. Up and down. Yeah, but this was a new oh, word gosh. for me, and I'm not sure how technical yeah. it is. Maybe I'll, I'll give you a little quiz. Yeah. Okay. Meerkats are iteroparous. They can re- reproduce blank once a year, twice a year, any time of the year. Uh, intero. It sounds like interval. I'd say any time of the year. Mm, you're good. I mean, you're lucky that I gave you okay. choices. I'm an easy test giver. <laughs> well, I would have said intervals, you know, like it's well, and I'm like, it's itero, I T E R O, itero, but that's yeah. still kind of like that. So yeah, so they can reproduce. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Chris. You're always great okay. student, great teacher, great student, great friend. <laughs> I think I'm an easy test giver. It was though. a good guess. Yeah, yeah, good yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, good guess. But uh, yeah, they can reproduce any time of year and. Females typically don't start breeding. They can breed at about a year, uh, but they typically don't breed until they're about two. And mm-hmm. and then be, they'll basically breed when conditions are favorable. So that can be really whenever, right, throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, in the wild, they prefer to have birth during the rainy, warmer part of the year. And then if there is a drought, their bodies are very smart and they will stop breeding. Right. When a female does become pregnant, uh, gestation is about 11 weeks or 77 days. And the female is going to have about three pups. Uh, and then on average, depending on the year, the drought, she might have maybe three litters per year, depending. Okay. Uh, and then once again, that probably depends on her ranking in the mob and things like that. And the little cute meerkat 
I like they're called pups, I think, but I want to call them kits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they're pups. Yeah. But they're born alteracial. Their eyes and ears are closed. And um they basically don't really start doing much until they're about three or four weeks old. That's when they're first allowed to leave the burrow. And they don't really start foraging food until definitely about after a month. And as Chris and I had already mentioned about how important it is to learn some of the behaviors from mom mm-hmm. or the babysitters, uh, they have to learn how to, to forage. And an older member of the group, it doesn't have to be mom, will basically mm-hmm. act as the pup's teacher or um, tutor or something like that, uh, helping it learn how to do all this foraging. Or hunting. Yeah. It's funny that it's called foraging. Yeah. All the literature keeps calling it foraging, and I guess it is, but I feel yeah. like it's kind of hunting, right? If you're, yeah, they're, they're hunting for yeah, insects, foraging. Like I always things. think of herbivores, so I'm not yeah. sure if that's just a or omnivores. I mean, I don't know. Maybe because like they're omnivores. Yeah, I mean, they do eat some plants and stuff yeah. and eggs and things. So, yeah, yeah. but yeah. and they're going to be weaned between um, uh, around 50 to 60 days old from mom, and just try to figure out how to. Not get poisoned by venomous stingers of scorpions. <laughs> right. Right. I know. I know. It's a big, big dangerous world out there. It is. Them. Yeah. Except for they're doing well, Chris. They are doing well. Well, I, before I get to that, there was a couple other behaviors that I found quite interesting. I read about was one was when the, the dominant female dies, usually one of her daughters takes over and it's usually the biggest daughter. Mm-hmm. Well, I read they actually have like an eating contest. So, because if there's another daughter that's like a little bit lighter or whatever, she can go out and forage a lot and get bigger or hunt a lot and get bigger and then become the dominant female. So they have it like an eating contest <laughs> for a few days. Do see. they dip, do they dip the lizards in water so they can like eat Probably, more of them? I don't know. I don't know. You know, that's, that's, how, that's how the hot dog contest got. So I know they went oh, from being so able gross. to eat like so 12 gross. hot dogs in like one sitting. Yeah. I forget the fellow's name who invented this concept of dipping the buns mm-hmm. in water so you can like slide them down your hole faster. Oh. <laughs> but then it, it bumped up to they could eat like 70 hot dogs or something. I mean, oh it's something God, just crazy. Insane. You know, it, it didn't jump up a little, it jumped up a lot. So maybe that's yeah. what the daughter does. She like goes, she goes out and she gets a little bit of water. Yes. Fall of it on the scorpions. Yeah. And bugs exactly. And Oh my God. You can only see it. Then the, the last one I read is, is the meerkats when they go to war against another mob. Oh, I didn't and, read about this. Yeah. And I think I remember this in meerkat man. Don't I they just all like hug and times. tickle each other? No. Oh. So they, they line up and then charge like warriors of old, human warriors. Like they used to line up on the battlefield and then just charge and attack each other. Oh my. So. They said that if they go to war with another with another mob, there, there could be a lot of deaths. It, it, it gets really gory. Mm. So they usually try to avoid conflicts and just in, intimidate each other. Mm. So I think there was in that there was like the two colonies or whatever mobs, you know, competing. I just I got to rewatch that show. That yeah. show is so crazy. So okay, so you alluded to they're doing well, and they they absolutely are doing well. They are. Yeah, ICN it's a fun story. We concern, we don't yeah. get to cover a lot of animals yeah. that aren't. Um, suffering. Yeah, that aren't yeah. threatened and where the IUCN con- is considered them doing well. Their population's stable. Yeah, they're doing good. Yeah, stable. They're, they're doing fine. They're in these protected parks in South Africa and other parts. Could they, there's no population data really no, out there. No, I couldn't there. find anything. Mm-mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, the only thing I did find is they said there was three thousand over three thousand four hundred meerkats in zoos around the world. Because we so love them. Stable populations. Yes. Oh, they're so great. So they're doing great. I mean, they're doing really great. And you know, is there any organizations out there supporting meerkats? Yeah, Chris, I came across this awesome group called the Kalahari Meerkat Project. And so you can find them on Facebook. Uh, with a group called Friends of the Kalahari Meerkat Project. And you can find their website, which is fantastic, and just wait for it, and I'll tell you why, at Kalahari, so that's K-A-L-A-H-A-R-I dash M-E-E-R-K-A-T-S dot com slash K-M-P slash. And Chris will put it on the show notes if oh I was I going too fast for you. Yeah. Uh, but basically... Yeah. <laughs> What this group does is they have the Kalahari Research Center, and that's located in northern South Africa. And it's a field site for several long-term research projects and multiple species, mammals, birds, and been operating for almost 30 years, or if not longer. And they do a ton of research, education, filming, and uh, and then, of course, a lot of publications about the research. So more specifically, the Kalahari Meerkat Project is one of the oldest projects that operates out of the center. And it's basically a long-term research project focusing on meerkats and with the goal of understanding this evolution of their cooperative behavior. So a lot of the things we were talking about today, uh, trying to really get to understand why that is and how that is and how it works. And so... They publish a ton of stuff. Uh, they publish a lot of the research and then they have study sites. And the best thing about this, Chris, is they have volunteering opportunities for you and I and our listeners. <laughs> I want one of our listeners. I can't go anytime in the near future, but, uh, I, yeah. it's definitely on my bucket list because you can go and volunteer to hang out with meerkats and take data. And they crawl and they're, they had obviously awesome. been habituated. So they like, they'll use your head as a, uh, uh, sentry watch out, watch post. So, and it's mm. cool on, on their website. It's just stunning. It, uh, has beautiful pictures and they, and I, of course, I'm talking about meerkats because, well, we love meerkats and that's what we talked about today, but they have other projects with mole rats, uh, ground squirrels for all of our squirrel fans out there. We we'll do squirrels soon. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, bat-eared fox, hornbill, drongo. So just a lot of really cool things. And once again, great, amazing volunteering opportunities, a lot of education. Their website's awesome. And so, yeah, check them out on Facebook, Friends of the Kalahari Meerkat Project. And you'll, your news, your uh, Facebook feed will thank you. And then you can thank me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. I, I'm going. I know. Uh, well, you I'm signing up? I, <laughs> I know. I'm like, why would we not? Right? Like, uh, maybe we can pretend that we're like social influencers and like we should go, and people should yeah, pay for it. I know. <laughs> but you go on their website; it's really cool. On their volunteer section, they have all these testimonials of of people that have done it and why they did it, and a lot of them did it too as um, a leg up in their career. And I know for me, when I was at the zoo and the zoo sent me over to Tanzania to do wildebeest research and collect data, it was just my first real exposure with field research and just, and it, you know, it was good. It was a resume right. build. I learned a lot, resume builder, uh, just really eye opening. And so a lot of times these 
opportunities. That's why they're not, why, that's why it's not just like volunteering. It's like a volunteer opportunity because it can help you build your resume right. and, and just hang out with your cats. So it's like a win-win. Well, I know we got, we got some conservation students that are, that are very interested in, mm-hmm. you know, listen to the podcast and anyways. Okay. So conservation tips. So what I've, I should, I think desert. So summer and, you know, this will apply to people south of the equator, uh, you know, in our December, January, February months, but just how to keep, you know, energy conscience through the summer and summer cooling, because it's very hard to keep your house cold when it's really hot out, especially if you mm-hmm. live in Florida or, you know, in desert regions. So, so here's, here's some uh, tips that can help save you not energy, but also in your budget. So one of the things you do during the day, block the heat from the sun by you close your windows, your curtains, anything, shutters, doors, everything you can to keep the house cool. Okay. So make sure all your windows are covered because the sun radiates heat through there and it gets, gets trapped. So you want to see if you can close and even closing doors, keeping the rooms cool, things like that. Now, I don't know if I could do this, but it said to keep, to save money, on cooling costs, you can turn your thermostat to 80 degrees or higher when you're sleeping. Oof. Or at least from your, yeah, I don't think so. I, I mean, I definitely, but at I least turn it up to like 82 and we're not home. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's what they said. When you're not home, that's probably when you want to time it, you know, which is usually the during the heat of the day. Um, yeah. Because raising, it says raising the temperature by five degrees for eight hours can reduce your cooling cost by up to 5%. That I can get behind. You know, Absolutely. So save some money. Yeah, yeah. Always, always look for Energy Star approved appliances, air conditioners, things like that. Um, this was interesting. Avoid creating unnecessary heat and humidity in the house during summer days. So plan to do heat, like cooking and stuff, moisture creating activities such as washing dishes, laundry, bathing, cooking before noon or before or after 8 p.m. Okay. Yeah. So if you can, that, that, that reduces the humidity in the house, the heat of the day and doesn't add as much heat. So that was kind of, that's well, kind of interesting. Well, it is. And so, I mean, I basically don't get to laundry till after the boys go to bed. So it's usually nine o'clock or 10 o'clock anyway. So there you go. Yeah, at night, at night. Yeah. 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 So I thought that was good. All right. To answer your question from the beginning. Yes. You know, why are a meerkat and a warthog friends? Well, the funny thing is warthogs, this has been documented and I saw a picture of this. Warthogs are actually friends with mongooses or mongeese. I don't know. If I don't know tomato, what, tomato. A mongoose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a few mongoose. They actually get, get along really well. You think the warthogs are so much bigger than them, but they actually, because the pigs have ectoparasites, you know, ticks, things like that. The mongoose will actually climb all over the warthog and clean them and eat the bugs that are on them. So they, be, they, they, what, what kind of behavior is that? A co- cooperative uh, that's behavior? I think called symbiotic. You know? That's when you symbiotic both get behavior something where, out of it. like, mm-hmm. yeah. So the warthog will, will actually lay down when the mongoose is around and let them pick <laughs> off the bugs. Awesome. So, so I think they ran with it. They made him a meerkat instead of a mongoose for the, for the movie, but they're actually really good friends. I love this <laughs> so podcast. That's awesome, Chris. I know. Uh, anyways, thank you to our Patreon subscribers. You know, pl- again, like we always ask, please share your favorite episodes on social media. If you can get a friend to listen, we will love you. And then we get that friend to listen. But Thank you so much, and we'll have a new species just for you next month. Thank you so much, everyone. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement. 
at allcreaturespod.com.